with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. Uh, you can follow along in the inserts that are found in your bulletin as always. Mark chapter 2, I want you to be encouraged this morning. We are only six weeks into the study of Mark and we're already on chapter 2. So that is good news. Six weeks in, second chapter, here we come. Now you're thankful that I picked the shortest of the four Gospels. Um, Though Mark's narrative, as we've talked about before, Mark's narrative is quick, it is fast-paced, our pace, in contrast to Mark's writing, is slow and steady because we want to soak and we want to savor the beauty of the one that Mark is showing us. And we want to explore and we want to really understand what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is as the Son of God and as the Christ. Those of you who are here, uh, which I think is most of you, all of you, uh, when we study the book of Ecclesiastes, um, you might remember that I focused on words as we studied that book. Each uh, sermon title was a different word that kind of summed up the teaching of the particular passage that we were looking at. Um, I haven't done that with this series, but I was looking back this week, and I certainly could have summed up this first chapter of Mark and the first five sermons that we've gone through with words. And if I were to pick words, the first word would have been promise. Jesus is the promised one, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. Second word is identification. Jesus came to be the bearer of our sin, to identify, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Reign, he proclaims his kingdom, his rule, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven now on earth. Authority, he speaks, he commands He touches and things happen, right? Darkness flees, truth is revealed. And then finally, intentionality, which is where we were last week. Jesus with his intentional pace and condescension and intentional mission. Well, if today we're going to pick a word, we would consider the word wholeness. Wholeness. It's not a word that we find in Mark chapter 2, but I think it's a helpful entrance for us into the teaching of Mark chapter 2. And so listen as I read the first 17 verses, uh, picking up where we left off last week. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Listen as I read. This is God's holy word. And when he, that is, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Are the exception, but we've all had this experience in some variation. I had it just recently. We take our car in because there is a noise coming from the engine. We think, I think, it's a belt. It's a hundred dollar belt. No, it's not a belt. It's a timing chain. A $2,300 timing chain. Oh, and yes, your taillight is out. That's another 30 bucks. Oh, and we noticed that your brake pads are getting a bit low. So often, I think I know what I need, but I don't. The experts find something more, much to the discouragement of my wallet. As we come to this passage in Mark, Mark chapter 2, this is a section, it seems to me, about two groups of people, at least the way I've divided it here, two groups of people that don't really know what they need. Well, Jesus is the one who's come to show them what they can't see. But unlike that mechanic who's going to charge you an arm and a leg as he becomes the bearer of bad news, Jesus will not only diagnose your problem, but Jesus is going to take care of the repairs. Jesus is going to take the cost upon himself. And friends, it's absolutely the best news we could hope for. It's the good news. It's the gospel. And so as we look at this passage, as we remind ourselves of the gospel, I want us to think about just two things, two simple truths to meditate on. And the first one is this, you need to be made whole. You need, every single one of you need to be made whole. This is an amazing scene. It's an amazing story. In the small town of Capernaum, 
Thanks in part to the loose lips of the leper, who Jesus told to be quiet, and yet in his joy and in his excitement, he could not contain himself. So thanks to the leper, the word has gotten out in this small town. People are saying, you got to hear this Jesus. He is saying some amazing things. you got to come to this Jesus. He is doing some amazing things. And so they've come and they've flocked to what Mark says is Jesus' home. A home that we believe is Peter's home, the place where Jesus uh, resided part-time, the place that became Jesus' home base of sorts during his ministry. And he's doing, he's finally doing what he came to do. Remember verse 38 of chapter 1, he says, I came to preach, that is why I came out. And finally he's preaching, he's come to preach the word, to speak of the nearness of the kingdom, to speak of the dawning of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to call people to repentance and allegiance to the king. We don't know how many people are responding to this message. Mark doesn't tell us how many people are responding. What we do know is that they are coming. Maybe they're coming merely out of curiosity. Some are coming out of conviction at the words that they have heard. And still others are coming out of genuine need. Well, that last category is the category of the four friends carrying this man on a mat. You see, they have a clear need. Their friend can't walk. They have a clear need, but there is not a clear path to Jesus. You see, in the first century, uh, the roofs of the homes were not pitched like they are in America. The roofs in this ancient context were flat roofs, roofs that were often used as decks. And so the men have an idea, and you kind of wonder how this suggestion went down when it was first spouted. One says to another, bro, we can't get in this place. It is packed. Maybe we should just go and come back another time. No, 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 no. I got an idea. Let's go to the roof, bust a hole in, We'll drop him down. See, growing up in the church, this is one of the most familiar stories, at least in my mind, from my childhood. But even, even as I remember it in my childhood, it was such a gentle, such a peaceful story, right? As if the rafters just cleanly parted and the man evenly descended in the middle of the crowd before Jesus it's not the way it was. I mean, think about this. This was incredibly disruptive. Jesus is preaching. He's finally doing what he called to do. And suddenly, there's like, there's banging and dirt and straw and dust starts falling, maybe on the Son of God himself. And people are like, what the heck is going on? They look up. Suddenly, beams of light start coming through. Everyone is stunned in silence. And this man doesn't just hover down on this nice hoverboard in the middle. Of, I mean, he's probably, people are gasping because he's kind of being lowered unevenly. I mean, this was quite a scene, quite a disruption. 
And I want you to see that because I want you to see how desperate these guys are. How willing they are to make a scene. See, they know their need. They know their friend's need. At least they think they know his need. As this was all going down, Jesus has got dirt and straw in his hair. And you wonder how Jesus is going to respond. One would think he's, he's going to be mad. He's finally got an audience. He's not just a, people aren't considering him a healing booth anymore. He's got an audience where he can proclaim the word of God, the kingdom of God. And what Jesus does shocks everyone in the room. Not the least of which was these four friends who had just made this scene and the paralytic who's laying there finally glad that he's on the floor and not suspended in the air. He says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, Jesus. That's not why we've come. He can't walk. He can't walk. The need was healing. But you see what Jesus does? Jesus goes deeper. Jesus goes to a better place. Jesus goes to an even greater need. And everyone in the room is reeling, trying to figure this out. Especially the Jewish teachers and scribes and religious experts. Say that you've been wrong, those of you who are married and those of you who aren't just insert someone close to you. Say you've been wronged by your spouse and you come to me as your pastor to share, to explain what you've been dealing with. And what if I just say to you, as you explain to me what your spouse has done that has wronged you and clearly you have been wronged by your spouse or whoever else is close to you. What if I just say to you, no problem, I know how to restore this relationship. And I right then and there, I call up your spouse or whoever has wronged you and I say to him or her, I hear that you have wronged so and so. I forgive you. What would you say to that? You said that doesn't make any sense. Pastor Nate, that doesn't do anything. Only I can forgive my spouse or whoever else has wronged me. You can't do that. And you'd be exactly right. I can't. If you take that experience and you import that into Jesus, you see what Jesus is saying here in this context is your sin is against me. I forgive you. Now the Bible doesn't say that this man was paralyzed because of his sin, but we know in the scriptures that his condition is representative of sin, of the sin that resides in all of us, of the brokenness that exists in our world. And so Jesus says to him and to all of us who are here today, I am God, I forgive you, not just for the wrongs you have done, but for living your life as if I didn't exist. I forgive you for living your life as if 
I wasn't in it. See, this is blasphemy. In the Jewish religion, this is an affront to Yahweh. The Jewish leaders think it. Jesus senses it. And he confronts it with a question. With a question and then proof. The question is this. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over this question that Jesus posed to the scribes. But I think the simple meaning is this Jesus is essentially saying, Your sins are forgiven. That's a phrase that's easy to say to anyone. Anyone can utter it, and how would you ever prove that anything happened? But so that you know that I don't just say that. I'm not just some dispenser of cheap grace. But I can actually make that happen. Get up and walk. And it happened. The man became physically well. But more than that, he was now whole. He was now whole. You and I need more than comfort. We need more than prosperity. We need more than health. We need more than security. We need new life in Jesus. And this story introduces us to those who recognize their need. See, they recognized they had a need, a need for physical healing. But Jesus showed them that their need was so much deeper than they knew. They needed to not just be healed, they needed to be made whole. And he made them whole. And Jesus, in doing that, as one author wrote, every healing is a driving back of death and an invasion of the province of sin. You see, this man's physical paralysis was just a reminder of his spiritual paralysis. He needed to be made whole. There's another class of people in this passage this morning in verses 14 and following. Levi, he's just chilling in his tax booth. All his shady friends come home with him. This is Matthew, Jesus' disciple. And Levi is a Jewish tax collector in the service of Herod, and therefore he is one of the most hated men in town. Now we can kind of get there. I did my taxes this past week. It was not a good day in my house, let me tell you. But it was even worse then. Tax collectors in that day, they essentially ran franchises. See, Levi had a quota of tax that he needed to collect and send to Rome, but he also had the authority to collect whatever he wanted on top of that tax that he sent to Rome. And this made tax collecting in the ancient world one of the most lucrative, one of the slimiest professions. These men were considered traitors by Jews, disgraces to their families. 
Mark reminds us that these are exactly the kind of shady characters that Jesus came for. According to Jesus' own words in verse 17, they are the sick who are in need of a physician. They are sinners in need of salvation. In the Pharisees' minds, Jesus is to keep himself clean from folks like these, like these, those who disregard their, the law and, and show no interest in religion. But just like the condescending love that he showed the leper, Jesus accepts the unacceptable. He identifies with the outcast, and he brings hope to those who don't even know that they have need. See, these men were living their lives sufficient in themselves, a lucrative business, a disregard for God's law. Life is good. And Jesus came to show them that they need to be made whole. We sing an old hymn sometimes entitled, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. You need to be made whole. And that brings us to the obvious thrust of the passage why Mark includes it and why Mark gives it to us. Because he doesn't just give us the problem, he gives us the answer. Jesus came to make you whole. If you are sitting here this morning listening to me, you are in one of those two classes of people. Either you're here knowing that you need Jesus, though you're still learning how you need Jesus, though you're deepening your need for Jesus, or you're here this morning, you don't think you need Jesus at all. Either way, Mark reminds you, Jesus came to make you whole. He didn't come to give you a perfect life, but he did come to give you true life, abundant life. See, if we asked Jesus, we would say, heal me first. And then forgive my sins. But Jesus says, no. You need to be made whole. And it begins with forgiveness. See, this is a passage about authority. Jesus has the authority to forgive. Jesus has the authority to make us whole. He uses a designation here that is his favorite. It's the title, the Son of Man. It's a title that's used over 80 times, or not over, exactly 80 times in the New Testament, and 78 of those times in the New Testament, Jesus is saying it. The Son of Man. And it's a designation for Jesus that comes out of Daniel chapter 7. Let me read it for you. 
Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in Jesus' not-so-subtle way, he is telling these experts in the Scriptures that he is the Son of Man. He is the one from heaven. He is here with authority to set up his rule, to make us whole. Indeed, the dawning of the kingdom is upon them. Jesus is bringing wholeness. And so the question for us, knowing that we need to be made whole, knowing that Jesus came to make us whole, is how do we get that? How do we get that wholeness? And the answer is faith. Desperate faith. See, we haven't really even talked much about the men at Peter's house that created this big scene as they lowered their friend through the roof. You see, they haven't simply intellectually assented to the fact that Jesus could heal their friend. They had to have that healing. There was nowhere else that they could go. Jesus wasn't just an option among many. Jesus was it, and they couldn't leave without him. You see, Jesus delights in this kind of determined, desperate faith. We see it over and over again in his ministry, and we hear it in his words. You don't have because you don't ask. So I think one question for application as the Holy Spirit applies this to your heart is how desperate are you for Jesus, for the life that he brings, for the wholeness that he offers you? Maybe you're here and you're more like those who are reclining at the table with Jesus around around, uh, that table that night. You're curious, you're interested, but you're really doing fine on your own. Jesus wants us to know, he wants you to know that if you think you're righteous without him, you're not. You're sick, not sick in the head. You're sick in need of healing, in need of wholeness. And he came for you. He's the only one who can make you whole. These words that were spoken to this paralytic on the map, on the mat as he was lowered three words you are forgiven. Three of the most powerful words in our experience. Three words that I want you to hear this morning. Not from me, but from the one who has the power, 
who, the one who has the authority to really forgive and to make you whole and to make you new. You are forgiven. Believe in Jesus. Be desperate about it. He knows what you need. He knows how to make you whole. And so rise from your spiritual paralysis because your sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven in Jesus. It's the gospel. Good news for us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, the one who came with all power with all authority, to not simply heal, to not simply deal with our temporal needs, but to make us whole, to make us right with you, Father. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, as you implant this word in the hearts and minds of your people, that we would go from this place exploring and further understanding what it means to be whole in Jesus. Give us a desperate faith. Forgive us for so often living our lives as if we can do it on our own. Forgive us for living for the approval of others. And give us reckless abandon, knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven. No matter what our own weakness, no matter what our, our, the brokenness of our world might throw at us, we are yours. Father, work that new life in us for the glory of your name, for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.